I heard about a lady who was standing in church searching for something in her purse when a very large TV remote control fell out to the floor. And a helpful greeter came over and reached down, and he handed her the remote control, and he asked her, he says, do you always carry a TV remote control with you when you leave the house? And she said, no, but I got mad at my husband this morning for refusing to come to church with me. I figured taking the remote control was the best way to get even with him that was still legal. (laughs) He's home looking for it right now. (laughs) It is so good uh, to be here together uh, today in person to worship the Lord together. And I want to take just a moment uh, and thank our new uh, worship minister, Matt Harden, for the uh, extra hard work that he has put into filming our, our worship services on Wednesday our sermons on Thursday, editing and piecing it all together uh, on Fridays, Uh, the upload, I I just learned near the tail end of the whole thing. I mean, just something as simple as a scripture reading might take a half an hour to an hour just to upload that part of it. And uh, every Sunday morning, uh, it's been good uh, to have Dover uh, worship uh, to tune into, even from our remote homes, and really appreciate that. Early on, we were teasing um, Matt because he was starting right ahead of Easter, <laughs> and we were like, welcome, <laughs> no pressure. And then something bigger than Easter happened, you know, I mean, as far as uh, the pressure goes, because suddenly uh, we became a, a TV church just like that. <laughs> and special thanks to Ann Rogers and her Bible Bites uh, when we're able to see those. Um, they are <laughs> done very well, and uh, Great for our whole family and kids uh, to enjoy those and getting to see those. And then for our entire church staff, uh, Rita and Kathy and Jerry, keeping us all uh, connected uh, as we've waited. Um, We left off last week with Paul, Silas, and Timothy and others being guided by the Spirit of Jesus into Macedonia in Acts chapter 16. Paul had seen in a vision a man from Macedonia appearing to him and saying, pleading with him, please come down here and help us. And the help that they so desperately needed was the good news about Jesus Christ and that everyone, everyone on the planet was included in that plan of salvation. Everyone could become a part of the kingdom of God, a follower of Jesus. The conclusion of the group was a clear call from the Spirit of Jesus that they should, in fact, go down to Macedonia with the gospel. And that's where we pick up this morning in Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, and then a little cameo from verse 40. We're going to see some sweet fellowship this morning in this passage. I love how often this happens, you know, you're in a series, you're going along, you're doing what you plan to preach, and then all of a sudden it's like the perfect passage The perfect passage for us as we get back together, a message today titled Sweet Fellowship. Two kinds of fellowship are going to be seen in this passage. There is the sweet fellowship in the sense of like a group or a congregation, you know, be a part of our our fellowship, belong, a place to connect. And then also the the fellowship that is something that we practice and that we do uh, to fellowship together. You know, if if you're like me, you hear the word fellowship, it's like, hey, we're going to (laughs) eat. And that is oftentimes a part of it. But there is so much more uh, to the fellowship that goes on in the church. Well, here's the deal. God adds to our fellowship when we all do our part. And even God does his part. God adds to our fellowship when we all do our 
part. It is a natural function of living things to grow. And the body of Christ is a living organism, not an organization. We are the body of Christ here on earth, and God wants his church to grow. He wants us to grow deeper in our faith and in our knowledge of God and our walk with him. But he also wants us to grow in number. Not to be a holy huddle or a religious club in which we pay our dues and we get our members benefits and, and, and we kind of turn our backs on the communities around us. But that we, we include them and we go out to them. And certainly there is a strong flavor of outreach and evangelism throughout the entire book of Acts. Luke may very well be my favorite gospel, uh, my favorite biblical writer and, uh, and gospel writer. And the book of Acts may very well be my favorite book of the entire uh, Bible. So first of all, let's begin by looking at the church's part when it comes to adding to our fellowship. Verse 13 says this of Acts 16. It says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. They intentionally went to the place of prayer. They waited until the Sabbath day. They probably arrived a few days ahead of that. But when the time came, they went to where the people were. We have to, church, we have to go to where the people are. We have to get outside the, the proverbial four walls of the church, and we have to, to go to the people. Salt left in a salt shaker doesn't do anything to flavor the meat, unless you turn it upside down and you give it a little shaking. <laughs> it has to get out of the, the salt shaker to do the flavoring that it's intended. Or it has to get out of the, the bag in order to melt the ice, to make the ice cream, or to, to make the sidewalks and the roadways safe. doesn't do any good staying inside the container. And we as the church, if we are salt, we have to get out in the community. And if we are the light, salt and light, if we are the light, then we've got to shine that light into the darkness, into the community all around us. And we have, we have a tremendous hope in which to share with others. And sometimes just for fun, I'll, I'll just do this little illustration with myself as I'm driving down the road in the middle of the day on a bright, sunny, and shiny day. Turn your lights on. <laughs> Outside of the fact that you've got a little indicator in your dashboard telling you they're on, you would never know. Or unless someone blinks their lights at you to let you know, hey, your lights are on, turn them off. Otherwise, you would never know they're on. But those same headlights shining from that same car in the middle of the dark of night going down a county road will illuminate everything. And it will shine uh, the trees. And if a little animal is in the ditch nearby, their eyes will reflect uh, against the light. And you'll see those two little eyes of the raccoon on the side of the road because you are making a difference. Same light, but when it's shined in the darkness, when it's shined out in the world, then we see the effects of it. We are salt and light light. Go to where the people are. Paul and the others apparently arrived, like I said, a day or so before the, the Sabbath. And as soon as the first Sabbath rolled around, they went to where the people were in search of a place of prayer. Now, the rule was, if you had uh, 10 family heads in a city or town, then your city or town could have an official synagogue. If you had fewer than 10 Jewish men, 10 uh, family heads in your community or your town, 
then you had what was called a place of prayer. Now, a place of prayer could have simply been uh, just an area in the woods outlined by some rocks and almost always near a body of water, preferably uh, a gentle flowing creek or, or river for the ceremonial purifications that the Jewish folks would have done. And these would be known as places of prayer. Not an official synagogue, not all the fancies, but a place where the family of God could be the family of God. Claudius had commanded all Jews to leave Rome. And Philippi was a Roman colony and would have honored that, that order. As Paul would have been asking around, perhaps, for a place of prayer, he would likely have been told, if you're looking for a place of prayer, you're going to have to get outside the, the city walls, go out one of the gates, get out on the edge of town, out near the river, and you will find a place of prayer. And that's exactly what they did. Let me ask you, what efforts, what intentional efforts are you making to go to the people, to help connect them to the Savior, to connect them to His bride, the church. One of the challenges, I think, in a, in a close-knit community like the one in which we're in is that we wear so many different hats, it's hard to know who we're representing, right? Because we're representing all of them. Uh, if you go to a sporting event, you might be going to that sporting event because you have a child or grandchild on the team. And you may also have a neighbor who is on the team. And you may also have someone from your congregation who is, is on the team. And you may even be an alumnus of the school itself. And that's why you're there. And if somebody asked you which you were representing, the answer would be yes. <laughs> because you're representing all of them. And so we as a church, we have to be kind of creative and intentional in how we are able to represent Jesus and specifically this part of his church, Dover, the Dover part, when we're in the community, do people know we are loving on the community in the name of Jesus? In all the other ways, too, yes. But we want God to get the, the credit. I call it sometimes, you know, the gift tag. I mean, we never want the credit for the good do deeds that we do in the community. Otherwise, we're just patting ourselves on the back. But if you don't attach some kind of a spiritual gift tag, so to speak, a to you from God, then the anonymity goes too far and even God himself doesn't get the credit. I guess the best way for people to know that the church is supporting people in the community and that we're being salt and light and that we care and that we love and that we're sharing the love of Jesus with the community is to make sure that we add that proverbial gift tag on what we do, whereby Jesus and his bride, the church, gets the credit. One intentional way, the best is to invite them into our fellowship. Invite people to come and be a part of what God is doing here at Dover Christian Church. There are a lot of great things normally going on. Um, I think I alluded to this a couple of weeks ago in one of my messages where I, I said back in November, you know, I put a 12-month calendar on my wall and it had all the 2020 fellowship and outreach events and things we were going to do. And it has been so hard since March 15th to watch some of those things whew, go by. Whether it's big calendar-driven things like Easter or Mother's Day. Or some of the fellowship things that, that we had planned along the way. I, I know at one point early on there was a, a father-son camp out that was being planned. I think about the mother's tea, the, the women's brunch that we, that we have 
Uh, next Sunday, I think it's next Sunday or two weeks from now, would have been uh, our second annual co-ed softball team with Jamestown Christian Church with a fellowship dinner before. That was a great thing last year. What a great win. We would have been having that again. There would have been Dover Little League teams uh, practicing and about to take a place out on the field. We would have had two Super Saturdays here in the month of June. Which, which are two four-hour vacation Bible school kind of events that we have. Uh, we could go on and on about some of the things that were planned for March, April, May, June. <laughs> but the good news is we're back. <laughs> and there are great things in which we can be inviting the community to come be a part of and not just keep it to ourselves. I, I know there were some historical inaccuracies with the movie Titanic back in the 1990s was very po- uh, powerful and popular movie of its time. But if for no other reason, that movie is worth it. Because at the very end, when the lifeboats float away half full, and you see the people in those lifeboats listening to the screams, the horrific screams of the people out there in the water, the frigid water freezing to death, And they did not row back toward them. They didn't row back, perhaps out of fear. We'll be mobbed. Our boat will sink. Perhaps, and I hate to even think this way, but but if the movie was at all correct, there were were first-class people worried about their boats getting too crowded (laughs) with, of all people, second-class people, third-class people. In our lifeboat? I hope not. <laughs> I hope Dover never feels that way. I hope that, that our church is full because we're constantly looking for more people to come and get in on what we enjoy. To come and be a part of our fellowship. To come and be a part of our growth groups when those resume first Sunday of July. To come to our our social activities that we have, our cookouts, that we'll say, hey, come go with, come be a part of this. When our men's breakfast, monthly breakfasts begin first Sundays of each month, when those resume, uh, men, we ought to be looking for others in our fellowship, in our church that are wanting to go deeper, that want to go beyond just recognizing faces to knowing names and say, hey, we have this breakfast, it's 8 a.m. first Sundays of every month. It's open to everyone. It's delicious food. It's, it's lighthearted. There's no pressure. You ought to come go be a part of that with me. And, and if you invite one person, that person would probably come. But it takes that intentional inviting people into the fellowship. What are you doing to bring others in? Um, they went to Macedonia to teach the people about the good news that the Messiah had come. They just needed someone to give them the good news about Jesus, and that they did. We have a lot of people in our spheres of influences today who fit a similar description to Lydia. Lydia was described as a worshiper of God. You see, she believed in the one true God. She was obviously a proselyte uh, from, from being uh, a Gentile into the Jewish faith, into Judaism. She had believed in that, but she just didn't know who Jesus was. They say something like, I don't know, 38% of the people out there are born again in, in, into Christ or consider themselves saved, a follower of Jesus, while nearly 80% of the people claim to at least believe in the man upstairs. 
some sort of a supernatural creator being, their maker, if you will. But they need someone to help connect the dots, to go from just having this religious itch to a very personal relationship uh, with Jesus. We need to trust God to add the increase uh, to his church. The Lord is the one who does the part. Acts 16, 14 says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. When it comes to adding to our fellowship and inviting others, here's the great part. The responsibility of ours is to share the good news, to sow the seeds of the gospel, uh, to develop and invest in relationships with other people. If they matter to God, they ought to matter to us. We ought to love people for no other reason than all people are loved by God. And when we do that, and it's, it's genuine, then the love of God, the word of God, that's the power of God unto salvation, not you, not me. It's the word of God that is the power of God unto salvation. Isn't that great? That takes the pressure off of us. The harvest is not your responsibility. The sowing of the seeds of the gospel is. And we need to trust God to add the increase to his church. Lydia was a a dealer of purple cloth, and apparently she was a very successful businesswoman. Thyatira was known for its high-quality materials, dyed in rich purple. And Lydia, she knew a lot about this business because she's come all the way from Thyatira to Philippi as part of her, her business. And also we have the fact that she, she is conducting business so far from home and apparently has a home in Philippi because we're going to see it a little bit later. She uses that home in which to invite others in to provide them a meal and to offer them lodging. Here she herself is out of town and she has a big home there in, in Philippi. The purple dye that was used to make the purple cloth was pretty significant because it was the, the official toga in Rome was this purple cloth. And so everybody who could afford it at all would save up and and do everything they could to be able to purchase this royal-colored purple-dyed fabric. To make this fabric, it took a specific kind of shellfish from which each shellfish could contribute only one drop of dye toward the process. And it took several, 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 several of these shellfish to be able to dye just one pound of wool. Lydia was Paul's first convert in Macedonia and in all of Europe. And God's going to use her in a spectacular way to help ignite uh, the growth of the Philippian church. Now, verse 14 is a a tough verse in the Bible to, to fully understand. I mean, you talk about some deep thinking, and that's verse 14 of Acts 16. I mean, how does the Spirit of Jesus play a part in Lydia's heart being opened? If God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance, what does it mean that he opened her heart to understanding the message of of Paul and the others? what 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 does that mean? I mean, God is not forcing her hand. God is not causing her to believe. God is not uh, pushing her into salvation, but it says he's opening her heart. And if you read on and you read carefully, you realize what it is he's opening her heart to. He is opening her heart to understanding, the understanding of the teaching of Paul. And that was about Jesus. Understanding who Jesus was 
being receptive of the message is what led her to accepting a, re- a relationship with Jesus. The key is in what the Lord opened her heart with, and that is the Word. You see, the power is in the Word of God, and, and, and that is what changes a person from lost to found, from hard-heartedness to open-heartedness. And God was opening her heart to understanding the message of Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. The Holy Spirit works through the Word to bring conviction into the heart of sinners. And the Holy Spirit's work in conversion is not something done directly upon the heart apart from the shared Word of God. The Holy Spirit gave a revelation to Moses that was intended to point men to Christ, which gave Lydia and others the opportunity to become proselytes into the Judaism religion. The Holy Spirit made it possible for Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and others to come to Macedonia and to teach about Jesus and what a person needed to do to respond. And perhaps things had happened in Lydia's own personal life that made her more receptive to the gospel. Have you ever noticed how that happens? If you have an unsaved child or grandchild, a neighbor, a co-worker, a friend, and you want this person to come to Christ, and you begin to pray for that person every day, God will not force that person on himself. He will not force that person to accept Jesus, but he can certainly make conditions favorable for them. He can give them understanding of the message that you are teaching. He can remove obstacles, and he can bring other people into their lives to help them better understand, understand the good news. I look back over my own life, and I'm sure that each of you who are already born again, baptized believers in Christ can do the same, and you think, if it hadn't been for this or it hadn't been for that person, would I even be saved today? For me, some of the simple things were things like Latin class being full. I signed up for Latin class, but it was full. So the guidance counselor saw me near the locker bay, called me over to a countertop above some file cabinets and said, Sean, you've signed up for Latin, but it's full. What would you think about graphic arts? I didn't know what graphic arts was. (laughs) It involves developing film in a dark room and making logos and screen printing those on T-shirts. And I was like, okay, whatever. You sure Latin's full? (laughs) Latin's full. Okay. So I go to graphic arts class, and it was made up of freshmen, sophomores, juniors, and seniors. I was a junior, and there was a freshman in there, an only child, who I wouldn't have hung out with for anything in the world. But somehow or another, we began picking on each other and developing kind of a friendship. And it was my junior year, and I was getting ready to get a driver's license. I got my driver's license, and he was hitting me up for rides home. And it wasn't too long before he introduced me to his parents. And his dad was a preacher, turned heating, air conditioning salesman. (laughs) But he still maintained a good handle on the gospel. And he would get down in the floor of their TV room, both of us on our bellies with the Bible open in front of us, And he would share these stories from the Bible in ways that my eyes would get so big. And I mean, it wasn't long before it began to take root and the gospel was planted. And I think to myself, lo, these many years later, Latin class was full. (laughs) I probably wasn't going to become a doctor. (laughs) I wasn't that smart. (laughs) But through graphic arts being open, meeting my friend, meeting his dad, 
His dad did not make a decision for me. I did. But God made a way. And we need to pray. Pray for our unsaved children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews and neighbors and co-workers, people who've messed up in life, that God would use circumstances, whether they be the good ones or the tough ones, that he would use those to draw people closer to him because he has a way of doing that that is very, very, very powerful. We know from Revelation 2, 18, that one of the seven churches was located in Philippi. <laughs> Can you tell me where, <laughs> where the, the people are meeting that I may go and share the gospel with them? And that's exactly what happened as Paul went to this place of prayer. And Lydia, her heart was opened. Philippi was an interesting place because... Uh, as a part of a Roman colony, it had uh, exemption from uh, imperial taxation. It had self-government um, privileges. Uh, it had all the rights of Roman citizenship. And in such a city was a little Rome far away from home. And it was kind of like a military uh, retirement place for retired military uh, personnel to come when they retired to, to live and isn't it interesting that there in that little obscure place, doesn't God kind of specialize in that? <laughs> you think about uh, like Bethlehem, for instance. I mean, God picks things we, picks towns we wouldn't necessarily think about. Doors to, the, to different journeys closed. We read about that a few weeks ago. And yet this open door, this open door led to Philippi. And so we have a powerful, powerful movement of the gospel into the European areas. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47 says this about fellowship. It says, they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Who added to their number? The Lord did his part. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It is the Lord who makes his church grow. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul asked the questions. He said, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's heaven said. John 12, verse 32 says, And I, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, he's talking about the cross, when I am lifted up to the earth, what will he do? Not just die. <laughs> Draw all men to myself. He's the way maker. <laughs> he's the magnet. He's the charisma. He's the draw. His word is the power unto salvation. And one final thing. The new believer's part 
We've talked about the church's part. We've talked about the Lord's part. And, and the new believer has a part as well. Look at what Lydia did in Acts 16, 15, and then later in verse 40. It says, And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. And then in between verse 15 and 40, you might remember the, the sermon that was preached from the, the jail, the old Hendricks County Jail, where we talked about Paul and Silas in jail and so forth. And, and there's a great earthquake, and they're miraculously released. And the first thing they do when they come out of the jail is verse 40. It says, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. Lydia did three things. First and most importantly, she obeyed God. She had obedience to God. She was obedient to the command to be baptized. Prospects throughout the book of Acts, all, if you read all 28 chapters, were always taught that they needed to believe, repent, and be baptized. Consistently, that is the biblical pattern. Uh, arguably, if you go through all 28 chapters of the book of Acts, you're going to see that. And we're often not told what was in the teaching. That's kind of left out. But that the result of the teaching was that the person was baptized. So obviously, it was part of the teaching. It was true of the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. It just some, Philip rode along in his chariot with him, and he preached Jesus to him. And the Ethiopian's response is, look, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? He says, oh, if you believe, you may. Well, I do believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he orders the chariot stopped, and the two of them go down into the water, Philip and the Ethiopian. Philip baptizes him, and the Spirit of the Lord snatches Philip away. We're not told what Philip taught. He started where the man was in Isaiah, talking about Jesus being like the lamb that's led to the slaughter. And the result of it was just a natural, obedient response. Why put this off? Why wait? Stop the chariot! <laughs> water right now. Let's go and do this. Not because there was anything magical about the water. Not because he was worried about what if I get run over by a camel between here and, and home? Will I be saved or unsaved? He didn't ask any of those silly questions that we asked today. He just said, look, there's water. I'm fully repentant. I'm fully surrendered. I want to get in on this. Let's do this now. And if anything, Philip had to slow the Ethiopian guy down because he was ready. Let's do this. What hindereth me, he says. And I think about the jailer. In that passage that, that follows this one, after the, the earthquake and so forth, and, and, and they preach Jesus to him, and, and it says that very hour of the night, midnight, <laughs> he and his household are baptized, and they have a huge celebration and a party. It's a natural response, being fully surrendered and obedient. Next, there was participation in ministry by Lydia. Participation in the ministry. She immediately used her gift of hospitality. And that's quite an invitation, by the way. <laughs> you don't follow this up with no, no pressure, because it's pressure. <laughs> if you consider me a follower of Christ, you'll come to my house for dinner tonight. <laughs> Unless you don't think me a Christian... <laughs> We'll see you at seven. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's kind of what she says. If you have judged me to be a follower of Christ, come to my house for a dinner. <laughs> okay, what time should we be there? It says she persuaded them to go. <laughs> she really wanted them to come. And then 
finally, she was obedient to God. She participated in ministry, and she knew the value of the church loving one another. Loving one another. Her house became a place of encouragement because as soon as Paul and Silas are out of jail, they know right where to go. They go to her house. They go there to encourage the other brothers. And where do they find They find them at Lydia's house, right? Because she's already having people over and they're already celebrating. They're already encouraging. They're already praying. And they stop off there just before leaving town. Romans 12, 9 through 13 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. 1 Peter 4, verses 7 through 11 says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of that God supplies in order that, so that, in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's my message. (laughs) Rich, sweet fellowship. We need to help others get in on it, and we need to practice it with them and include them because God wants his church to grow and when we all do our part it is God who adds the increase pray with me please father God I thank you for this morning thank you for allowing us to be in this place to worship you again father it is good to be back together physically to be able to worship you with one voice and to hear our voices singing and to see the smiles on the faces God and and just just the sweet Christian fellowship that is in this room today may it bring honor and glory to you. Father God, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and child in this room, Lord, as we contemplate the decisions that we need to make, like Lydia, God, that we might be obedient, that we might participate in in ministry, Father, and Lord, we might be a place of love and unity. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.